Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with author and filmmaker Anne Armbrecht. Hi, Anne. Hi. How are, How are you? you doing? I'm good. Great to be here. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Excited to talk with you. We're going to be talking about herbal medicine and uh, the, the very potent forces at work in nature that we humans can connect with more uh, than many of us are currently. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, thanks. Anne Armbrecht is the director of the Sustainable Herbs Program under the auspices of the American Botanical Council. She is a writer and anthropologist with a PhD from Harvard, whose expert work explores the relationships between humans and the earth, most recently through her work with plants and plant medicine. She is the co-producer of the documentary Newman, The Nature of Plants, and the author of the award-winning ethnographic memoir, Thin Places, A Pilgrimage Home, based on her research in Nepal. Her latest book is The Business of Botanicals, Exploring the Healing Promise of Plant Medicines in a Global Industry, which was published by Chelsea Green earlier this year, 2021. Anne lives with her family in central Vermont. And I'm, I'm really excited to have this opportunity to dive into these topics with you today. And uh, herbal medicine is near and dear to my heart. We've had several other folks on the Why on Earth Community podcast who are herbalists, herb farmers, and uh, in some cases, other authors uh, working in the herbal medicine arena. And so I wanna kick off by asking you, how did you get into this exploration of herbal medicine and what, what led you uh, in the direction of basically doing a comprehensive survey and study uh, looking at what is now the global industry of, of herbal medicine? Um. Sure, so it's kind of a circular way that I got into it. I went to Nepal after college and wanted then to figure out any way to get back to Nepal. And so I went to graduate school in anthropology and there I was really asking the question about the relationship that villagers had with the land. And this was in East, Northeastern Nepal where a national park and conservation area had just been created. And I wanted to know what the villagers thought of that project, you know, it was big Western ideas about conservation and all of those things. And, and I, so I wanted to explore that. And I had a lot of romantic ideas about rural, you know, indigenous communities having a relationship with the land that we had lost in the West. And like with my current book, I quickly found it was much more complicated than that. But during the time I was in the upper Arun Valley and I was there for almost two years, what I found was that there was this relationship that they had with the environment, the land where they lived that was much more interactive. It, was an, it wasn't an object, you know, the, the earth and the soil, it wasn't objects to use. It was really things they would give offerings to and in exchange for the rain and that kind of reciprocity was really the heart of it. And so then I came home and, you know, you know, like most people coming home from that kind of experience, I was completely disillusioned with the consumption of our culture and all those sort of things. And at that time I met an herbalist, Deb Sewell, and immediately was taken by her very different relationship with the plants and this sense that there was something alive in the plants and in her relationship. 
And I was curious and I wanted to know more. And so she suggested that I go to the Women's Herb, North New England Women's Herb Conference, which I did. And there I met Rosemary Gladstar and that led me to study herbal medicine at Sage Mountain with Rosemary. So that's what got me into herbal medicine. And I jumped in with both feet, you know, it was like, I was just coming from Harvard where everybody was very much in their head. And here people would stand in circles and sing songs and talk about what they loved. And I loved it. And so it was that as well as learning how to make remedies with plant, you know, calendula and nettles and things that I could grow or gather from the fields and meadows around my house. So that empowering, that was quite empowering. So. Yeah, beautiful. And, um, you know, we were we were chatting uh, before uh, we began recording that you, you've had a number of uh, interviews around the book and are often asked questions like, you know, how big is the industry? What are the stats? And I'm curious, you know, as an interviewer, what's what's the one question that you haven't been asked or haven't been asked often that you'd really love would love to be asked when talking about this herbal medicine relationship? That's a great question. So to me, the heart of the book, and I, I, I might not answer this as a question, but what I would like is a question that would allow me to talk about what the heart of the book is about this, that we live in a world that's alive and how we see and the idea of seeing and well, the questions around healing and what is healing really, and can there can you find healing with plants that are bought and sold in a global supply network? And if so, how do you find it? Where do you find it? Um, what are the conditions? And it was a really hard book to research and write, and many, many, many drafts and revisions and back and forth with Chelsea Green because in early drafts, I had this combination of very like information about the industry and where plants are coming from and who and how they're handled and the problems and the challenges. But I also had these stories of me following what I call the tree spirit that were really trying to capture that aliveness of the plants that is a what really ultimately drew me and draws me to herbal medicine. And it was, so in the book, I was really trying to hold both of those threads and ultimately the tree spirit didn't make it into the final draft, but it, I only let that go when I felt like I was able to hold that, um, whatever that aliveness is. And, so yeah, maybe if you ask more questions, I can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, and I'm, I'm also wondering, so reading through the book, it's clear that you did a whole lot of research on the industry for folks who are in uh, the, the realm of eco-entrepreneurship and sustainable business. It's a great read just to learn about the supply chains, many of the issues, including uh, both the environmental practices and the the labor and human impact practices, and and you speak to some of the challenges that show up there, and and also that as an industry, the the herbal medicine industry is actually one of the least transparent when compared to things like 
uh, food, for example. And I'm just wondering, was, was the process of doing that research one that made you more optimistic, less so, and, you know, didn't make much of a change? What was that experience for you like as, as you were uncovering and discovering so much more information? Another good question that nobody has really asked me. And, and I think, so when I started the research, I started by, I was inspired by this quotation by Wendell Berry that I heard him say years ago about how we can't see the forest being cut down when we use our, you know, a sit at the wood table or we don't see the water being drained, water from lakes being drained when we use our water and that disconnection, not seeing the impacts of our ways of living allows us to forget the moral and ecological responsibility of those ways of living. And then he said, an imagination is the first step, like seeing those people and places on the far side of our choices about what to buy was that first step. And so that was really the question that I asked when I started following herbs. It's a super simple question, like what does knowing those stories show, reveal, and can you find intention in a global, you know, herbalists talk a lot about the importance of that relationship and intention that they bring to working with plants as medicine, but often they're using plants that are bought and sold on a global market. And so I wanted to know where would that be and how would it show up? And so then in the process of visiting different producer groups around the world and, you know, big companies and there was so much information that I could have written about the industry per se and an early draft of the book was very much divided each step of the supply, you know, producers, processing, et cetera, et cetera. But that didn't have heart in it for me, that story, it was just speaking to the business as business. And, and it would have been fairly depressing because it's super challenging. And even the companies that are committed to sourcing responsibly, you know, they're dealing with poverty, entrenched poverty around the world and biodiversity loss and the climate crisis. And, you know, I'm a mom. And so like on that level, I needed to write something that helped me feel hopeful. And so that's what led me to, you know, I do outline the different steps of the sourcing and supply chain, but then I chose to really focus on some initiatives and efforts by individuals who I feel like are bringing that presence and attention and trying to see the whole system from different points of view and doing their best to make a difference. Um, so I guess in a way I started like this global, like looking from the outside and that didn't work both writing, but also as a writer. And so maybe it was trying to get inside these particular encounters, which helped me navigate that, how to find a path. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And I, I could tell as I was reading through that, boy, you know, some of this might um, might have been potentially dismaying. And uh, when we're, and, and it's sort of ironic, right? Because we're talking about herbal medicine, which so many of us who already have a familiarity usually have a very positive, you know, association with it. And, uh, I'm curious. So with, with the Why on Earth community, one of the things we talk about, largely in relationship to food, is this uh, uh, quick uh, trifecta of grow, know, and show. 
And the idea is let's, let's grow what we can ourselves. Let's get as much as we can from folks like farmers nearby whom we know. And, and then when it comes to sourcing from farther away from folks and, and organizations we don't have a direct connection with, uh, let's make sure that, that the credentials are shown through things like third party certifications, right? Fair trade, uh, organic, now this emerging um, regenerative organic certification. And, and so obviously this would apply just as well to the herbal uh, medicine realm. And I guess I, I'm, I'm left wondering, one of my takeaways from the book is that A, it'd be great if a whole bunch more of us were able to grow some of our own herbal medicine. And then B, uh, when we are sourcing from uh, companies, uh, teas and so on, that we're able to get to a resource like yours that's done a lot of this deep vetting uh, to help us decide which companies you know we want to patronize. And that, so this leads me to my question, um, which companies, which three, four, five are your very favorite uh, to su suggest or recommend to us when we're actually thinking about buying a, you know, a box of tea or some bulk herbs? So that is the question I'm often asked that I don't like being asked. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I'll, I'll explain why. But I first I wanted to respond to the first something you said at the beginning. I feel like the herb industry has kind of gotten off the hook from scrutiny because people think, oh, herbs are natural. It's good for me and good for the earth. And so and there's this history of not being super transparent, not being transparent at all, like a lot of secrecy. And and so it's it's changing slowly but a few weeks ago i spoke at an herb school and i was really surprised by the questions um and the lack how little is known and how much the focus tends to be on how this herb is going to help me and what i was trying to you know whatever condition my lungs or you know and i do that i use herbs in that way but what i was trying to explore in this book is the question of how, by following these plants through across the world, and by all of us asking questions about, oh, where's this nettle from? Is it from Eastern Poland? What that that is a different kind of healing because it's connecting us with people and places, ideally, as you say, in our region. But I also found that it's in herbal products and medicinal plants, it doesn't equate quite so much as the food because these herbs and spices have been traded for centuries and often rural areas in Southern India, you know, they depend on this trade as well. And so it depends on how it's done. It's not necessarily that importing is a bad thing. So that's one. And then the other, the question about what companies, the reason I don't, love that question. So what I found so empowering about herbal medicine is finally I was learning how to make something in a jar with a root from my garden and some vodka or tea, you know, thing. And I was like, wow, nobody told me this. And it wasn't having to depend on a doctor for really simple things. And that was incredibly empowering. And yet when we go to a store and we pick a supplement off a shelf, that's, that empowerment is lost. And so, you know, I, I have this naive idea because everybody's busy and you know we we all want to know what companies to buy from and I also feel like there's a deeper 
journey of asking the questions, figuring out our values about herbal medicine, like do we want it locally grown or do we want to support farmers and rural communities in India or Nicaragua? And then find, then we do the research ourselves and find the companies and we like see ourselves as partners with those companies and see like our purchase is like making a donation to the our local NPR station or something. And you know, this is my naive idea about how how maybe it could be possible to work within capitalism to change capitalism, you know, to change that. But I think as long as we're just taking these, you know, objects like products like objects, it's not gonna really shift in a deep way. And the companies that I, you know, in the book, there are companies that I talk about and also on the Sustainable Herbs Program website, which is just sustainableherbsprogram.org, I think. They're, they're donors, they're companies that support the organization. And that doesn't mean we say buy from them, but those are companies that are making investments in sourcing responsibly. And so it's a good bet that they're thinking about these issues and then the other thing I would only, you know, as much as possible buy third-party certified, you know, certified organic. There's a few, there's one, I think Herb Farm is certified or regenerative organic, um, but other companies are committed to healthy soil practices even without that. And then there's a, a few that are fair for life or fair wild. So that was a long answer to your short question. <laughs> it's a great answer and, and I'm smiling because I, hey, I at least got one company out of you there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's really appreciated. And, and I appreciate both the nuanced complexity on the one hand and on the other hand, the invitation you're providing for folks to dig in a bit on their own and, and do some of their own research. And, and I think that's, uh, that's that's well taken. Of course, it took you, I'm sure, hundreds of hours and a lot of travel to be able to uh, do the depth of research that you did. So uh, one shortcut we could suggest for people is to get your book. And uh, this is The Business of Botanicals. And it's a, a wonderful read and, and so neat to see that uh, among your, your reviewers are at least three uh, past Why on Earth Community podcast guests, including Kate Williams, Judith Schwartz, herself an author, and Ryan Zinn from Dr. Bronner's. And uh, Kate Williams, of course, uh, being the CEO of 1% for the Planet. And um, yeah, it's just, it's neat to see that there is this community of folks working on different aspects, the research, the discussion, uh, the just supply chains work like Ryan Zinn is doing for Dr. Bronner's, who, by the way, I just saw recently announced a new line of chocolates, which might be really exciting. And, uh, you know, for us to be increasingly educating ourselves and each other through these uh, connections and relationships, I think is so important. And it's one of the key reasons we do this, this podcast series to help, you know, provide info to others. And we had the herbalist Brigitte Mars on a while back, and I got to ask her, hey, what are your favorite uh, herbs for, for medicine for your own use? And I, I want to ask you, Anne, the same question. Do you have some favorite herbs that, that uh, maybe you, you grow in your own garden or, or use regularly? Sure. But before answering that, I wanted to, can I just add, make one comment about the companies? Because yeah. another challenging thing is companies change. And in the time that I was doing, 
you know, I visited projects with Sebastian Pohl from PUCA. Some of the people, Ben Hare no longer works at PUCA for various reasons. PUCA is now owned by Unilever, you know, and which has changed, you know, which has changed things and doesn't change things. And, and similarly with traditional medicinals as new people come work there. And so I also, I, it's important that we all kind of continue to do our homework because a lot of those herb companies started by like traditional medicinals, herb farm and Gaia, started by herbalists in the early days are often the ones that are recommended by herb schools. But the, as, as the organization changes hands and the financial structure changes, we need to keep checking and asking questions. And so, so it's also in a practical way um, those tend to be good companies, but it's also good to continue to do research. It's a great um, point. Yeah, I like that, the idea of the ongoing vetting. Um, and uh, I will say two other companies because they're smaller and are not often talked about. Avena Botanicals, which I do mention in the book, Deb Souls and Herbalist Alchemist by David Winston, both smaller companies run, you know, with a herbalist at the helm or close to the helm. So what are my favorite plants? Um, I'm looking out at my garden. <laughs> I love motherwort. And I mean, a lot of these plants I love just to have in my garden, but I do take motherwort as bitters. And I love black cohosh because I'm from West Virginia. And so it reminds me of Appalachian forests. And Yeah, and then other things like I make a rose glycerate or lemon balm glycerate because it tastes nice. <laughs> That's so I can't sleep. Yeah, I, I like those as well. I just recommended some mother work to a dear friend the other day. Um, that's that's wonderful. Lemon balm is always fun to come across in the garden too, and just you know, just just squeezing it in the fingers makes this incredible aromatic uh, experience for us. Yeah. As, as you're seeing more and more folks in this, in this culture, I'm thinking about the United States right now in general, uh, getting into things like herbal medicine and, and more and more students of herbal medicine out there. What's the sort of one thing you would hope uh, works its way into the curriculum and into the process and experience for these folks that maybe hasn't been there, you know, up to this point. So, uh, uh, in such a pronounced way. Yeah, another great question. I, one simple thing, well, just the other day I was speaking with an, an herbalist who works at a company about putting together some kind of curriculum that's, and it, it, you know, like a deep dive into the industry, but a really simple thing, I feel like herb schools could have their students do, you know, we're told to build up this materia medica about you know, each plant and you gather how it's used and how it makes you feel and you test it. But I think it would be great to include a research part of that. Like, okay, where are the nettles that are grown on the market? And what are the challenges facing the wild harvesters in Eastern Europe where a lot of nettles is wild harvested? And, or rhodiola, what are the issues around where rhodiola is from? And our turmeric and what are the options and the challenges? And to, so actually at ABC and the Sustainable Herbs Program, we're coming up with this template of kind of these questions to, 
to fill out. And here are some tools to gather this because it's kind of hard to get that this research to find it. You have to be a quite earnest detective. And so to kind of help make it easier. But I feel like if we could begin to build a collection of not just you know, the constituents of plants and the energetics of plants, but the stories of the plants, the people and places, then that just feels like it can round out and help the plants really connect us with other people and places and not just be about how it's good for me or how this particular plant that I'm studying, but then when I'm using nettles that I buy, how to connect that. Do you see what I'm saying? So like I can grow a certain amount in my own garden, but if I'm gonna buy a certain, some more, then what are the issues there? What is the aliveness of that plant? Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting uh, thing to consider. And I'm, I'm, I'm also wondering, given your academic background and experience within academia, you know, it's, we see these wonderfully uh, produced documentaries like Newman, which, which you co-produced, uh, with interviews with some astoundingly uh, innovative and uh, significant researchers, authors, thinkers, uh, traditionalists, etc. And I'm struck that, you know, on the one hand, we may see some of the leading scientists from academia making uh, opening discussions around things like the, the magic and the healing life force, divine energies of, of the living biosphere. But it seems nonetheless that most of academia is ossified in this mechanistic and uh, really de-spirited uh, worldview, entrenched worldview. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you work your way through that and, you know, how do you see this unfolding, you know, given your purview over the last several years? So I can speak a little more directly to the botanical industry. And in, in my, it, so I'll speak to that. I mean, in academics, it's, I try and bring it the class, and you know, I teach a class on Asian medical systems sometimes, and I try and bring this, into the classes. Some of the students resonate a lot, don't. Um, but I found, I was quite nervous in, so that, that tension that I mentioned before in writing this book of this the audience of the industry and how to write something that they would, that was complete enough from that audience and that perspective. And, you know, where the organization American Botanical Council is really known for bringing kind of scientific rigor into the use of plants. And so how to kind of meet that rigor without to me losing that magical aliveness. And, and that's what this tree spirit was in there for, you know, to help me um, find a way. And, you know, I think it is changing with people like, um, you know, these books now about the aliveness of trees and the stories of the trees and people are listening and mushrooms and there is this shift that it's more possible to talk about that. Yeah. But, but you know, but it was like early on in writing this book and I was, I was 
anxious about sharing more of that my spiritual connection with plants but then i realized i didn't want to write a book that didn't do that and also then somebody else probably would and i would have been really bad that i had that i'd sort of silenced that part if that makes any sense so i don't know if i answered your actual question but no it's it's i, I really appreciate that and it of course makes me think of um one of my favorite chapters in your book uh viriditas and when I first opened the book and was scanning the table of contents, I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh, this is exciting. Because of course, this is a concept we think was, was coined by Hildegard von Bingen about a thousand years ago. It's something I'm weaving into some of my own writing now as I've shared with you. And so I, I wanted to ask you to share with our audience, what is this, what is this viriditas? And, and how and why do you think it might be an important term and concept for us to be aware of. So in, uh, so we called Newman the film Newman. Newman means the animating force in all things living. And, and actually an herbalist at the time cautioned us against doing that because she said it was too kind of flaky and woo woo and we would turn off potential audiences. But but that Newman that relates to that idea to me of veriditas. I think David Hoffman described it as like the greenness of the natural world. You know, he's drawing on Hildegard. And, and that's really what I was asking in this book, like can that aliveness be present in herbs that are bought and sold, you know, in, in a more transactional way? Say more about, say again, your question. Well, yeah, I, I just, I, I was hoping you might dive into what this term viriditas means and, and what it's pointing to both conceptually, but really perhaps experientially. So when we were in the last chapter, I talk about this Vaidragama, this center in India where we had gone and I was there for six in India for six months on a Fulbright and I had this plan of visiting all of these manufacturing centers and and early on it was just it wasn't something I was drawn to do it was logistically really challenging and it also go, you know it was depressing the herbal supply in India is really depressing and scary and sad and 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 I met a woman who talked about the way she was traveling and it was like a kind of listening like she would listen and she would notice connections or things and that would lead her to a different place and i realized that's this kind of movement practice i do which is authentic movement which is about listening and goes back to what i was saying before about seeing seeing the invisible as well as the visible and so i tried in the last section of the book to really okay listen what is the story that is trying to emerge and write that. And so that the book itself is like a journey of listening and seeing in a deeper way. And in Hadangna, the village where I lived in Nepal, the priests and shaman have this concept akadabla, which means to see double. And it means they can see the ancestors, the spirits who, you know, people who have died, who come back to support them, who help, you know, find lost souls and things like that, but they're invisible. And 
the villagers and, and priests and shamans can see them. And those priests and shamans say that those of us who can't see double, who can't see the ancestors, that makes us selfish because we think that we're in charge. And that's what in the chapter when I'm talking about Veriditas, Jeff Bodney and Lizzie, his wife, are talking about is that there is this aliveness and how do we live in relationship with that? Because we're not in charge. And of course we're not in charge. I mean, look at what's happened in the world the last year, you know, and it's just our hubris. And, and so I feel like plants, because everybody loves plants and everybody loves to garden, you know, there's so much about gardening. They kind of awaken what the philosopher Robert Poe Harrison says the lost art of seeing. And he says, gardens can awaken us to that. But most of us don't see because we're too busy and distracted and busy, you know, moving, moving. So I feel like to me, that's what Veritas is about. It's that aliveness. And then it's up to us. How can we listen? How can we see? How can we follow where we're led? So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I want to take a quick pause to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. Today, we're visiting with author and filmmaker Anne Armbrecht, and we're speaking in particular about her new book, The Business of Botanicals, Exploring the Healing Promise of Plant Medicines in a Global Industry. Uh, you can find Anne at her website, annearmbrecht.com. Uh, you can also go to sustainableherbsprogram.org, which man, Anne mentioned earlier. Um, to purchase uh, copies of her book, you can, of course, go directly to Chelsea Green if you'd like, or you can go to our partners and supporters page on whyonearth.org and use the code YOE10 to get a 10% discount. And some of the proceeds will come back to support our nonprofit as well. Uh, Anne's on social media, uh, Twitter at Anne Armbrecht uh, underscore Anne, uh, Facebook Anne dot Armbrecht, Instagram Anne underscore Armbrecht. We'll put all this in the show notes, of course. And uh, we'll share a number of Chelsea Green's uh, social media links and handles as well. I want to give a special shout out to our Why on Earth community sponsors and supporters who make this podcast series possible, along with our other community mobilization work. And this includes Earth Coast Productions, the Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, a great place to source some wonderful herbs, uh, if you ask me. Uh, Earth Hero, Liquid Trainer, Vera Herbals, another great one, Growing Spaces, Soil Works, Joyful Journey Hot Spring Spa, Earth Watercress, Dr. Bronner's, uh, and a special shout out uh, to our collaboration with 1% for the Planet. And of course, Waylay Waters. Um, Waylay Waters offers a jar, a monthly jar of the hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts. Uh, that we make by hand for folks who join our monthly giving program at a $33 or greater level. And you can join the monthly giving program at any level, whyonearth.org slash support. And a huge thanks to all of you out there who have uh, signed up for that. And a special thanks for those of you who have signed up at the level to receive those Waylay Water Soaking Salt. It's really an investment in your health and well-being. And uh, so... Again, thanks to all our, our sponsors, supporters, friends, and partners. And uh, it really takes a community and an ecosystem to be doing all this kind of work. 
And I guess, and this, this leads me to my next question for you, which I, I think of, you know, being, being also an author myself. Um, so what's next? Like what's your next big project or undertaking or uh, perhaps even another book or film that you might be working on? Uh, if you can talk about it, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, my family says no more books. Son <laughs> 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 wasn't there, right? But I do have ideas of writing. But right now at the Sustainable Herbs Program, we're, it's a different kind of writing, but it's trying to really rate, tell these stories in different ways to industry people, as well as the herb community or general audience, any, any audience that we can. And so there it's shorter videos. So we're going to Costa Rica and Nicaragua next month actually to talk, to do some short videos on some work around agroforestry and planting turmeric in coffee growing monocrops to provide better livelihood and care for the soil. And so there's that kind of work that's sort of following up on the, the themes in the, the business of the botanicals, like the book is kind of seeing the system and then, okay, now that we've seen the system, how, what can I do to help change or support the efforts that are bringing about positive change? But then I'd also love to, um, to me, the part I loved writing the most were when I was really letting myself be led by the plants and that more journey kind of part and I, the parts that I removed a lot of it. And so I wanna see where, when I have some more space and time, where that might go and, and to kind of give voice to that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That leads me right into this perfect segue to this very short passage I wanted to quote. It's, it's really just part of a sentence uh, from your book. This is a, the beginning of chapter two, which is called The Modern Renaissance of Herbal Medicine. Great that you've got a Rudolf Steiner quote right there. Uh, the seed is the whole potential of the plant contracted to a single point. Um, below, you say, the common theme across all the interviews in the book is the power of learning directly from the plants, from the spirit of the plants. And this one to me is, is so interesting because those of us who have been working with herbal medicine for years, you know, those of us who have a connection with uh, traditional indigenous culture, um, you know, won't find it strange or odd or peculiar or weird to talk about learning directly from plants. And however, a whole lot of us, when we hear something like that, might think, what? Or you got to be nuts or are you kidding me? Or, uh, you know, something else. So I, I want to ask a two part question. And, and the first part is, you know, potentially sensitive, you know, go, go w- where you want to with it. Uh, which is this, what, what is that? What is your internal process or what has been among the most remarkable experiences you've had learning directly from plants that you might, you know, feel comfortable sharing with the world. And secondly, how do we, those of us who've had some of those direct experiences who, and and who possibly even can at least embrace the idea that, that seeing double is a real thing. How do we, 
deepen the conversation with those of us who haven't yet gone there yet or haven't yet had that experience, haven't yet developed that empirical knowledge for himself or herself to say, yeah, there's something there. There's veracity in, in that kind of a statement. Great questions. And so the first one, so two different ones, one sitting with plants, actually with a, a circle of women in central Vermont, where we would pick a plant and travel with, you know, go on a journey with it. And, and then we would share and it would be remarkable. It wouldn't be the same, but it would be remarkable the themes that arose and kind of expressed differently depending on each of our, who we were, you know, and the language that we speak most broadly. And so that was so helpful and, and maybe that's partly helps answer your second too, but that experience was so empowering because here it's like, oh, it's not just my imagination. There is some conversation here that's happening. I think what was incredibly powerful for me was working with this tree spirit. And I do a lot of different kinds of movement. And so it would be moving and writing, you know, writing in like big notebooks. And then suddenly this, I called him a tree spirit because he kind of emerged from like a birch tree and started, it was a conversation. And I would just, I was taking dictation and I would just write it down. And that was this thread through writing the whole book, because as I said, you know, I would just get so lost, sort of derailed by the oblig obligatory kind of book I thought I was writing. And the tr this conversation would help me come back. So I would say, what do I do now? And then, you know, I would be led on a journey. And it was, you know, remarkable things would arise that then again gets to the second part because it's really hard to talk about those, right? In a way that is not just, oh, whatever, that's just your imagination and you're just making it up and fantasizing and it's self-indulgent. And so how to do, and I've read, you know, accounts of people's experiences with plants and they're not necessarily very interesting. You know, it can feel rather self-indulgent or like, really? And so it has, how to do that in a way that invites people in rather than telling. I mean, it, it, it's a similar, like with the, how Rosemary introduces students, just like go up in the woods and sit with a plant. And, and the first time I did that at Sage Mountain, you know, I was writing my dissertation in Harvard. I was like, okay, I'll talk to you plant. But, and then this remarkable thing unfolded because I was curious curious enough in a bad place in my life. So open enough, um, you know, and I, I, yeah, I don't know how to bring more. It was interesting when we would show Screen Newman, the documentary early on, and I would show it in communities of herbalists and they're like, yes, yes, finally, someone's telling the story. And then we would show it in people who weren't herbalists, but they'd shop at their local farmer's market and only buy organic food. And they're like, what are you talking about? The animating force in nature? So, um, and there's different, you know, 
it's, I think this does also get back to earlier questions. I think the power of herbal medicine and what I was trying to explore in this book is because plants have this aliveness, I feel like there's the potential, if there's any way for green capitalism to be anything more than a, a label, I think herbal medicine has a potential to show us that path because they're both, they're both commodities, but they're also something we can be in relationship with. Yeah. Um, jury's still out on whether that can work. I absolutely, I, I really appreciate your response. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, it, it, I wanna follow with another question related that, that's outside the scope of your book. So, you know, to be fair, you can absolutely tell me that you don't wanna answer this one, but this this green capitalism idea hit me, you know, what if, and this is maybe a bit of a mini thought experiment for us here, you know, what if the, the green part of the green capitalism needs to be considered in a literal way, that it's not just a uh, an abstract concept, and that what's actually necessary and, and, and critical in these times is that we have much more green living plant uh, friends, uh, relationships around us. And, and so therefore, when we're thinking about urban environments, right, where most of us live apparently, and also suburban environments, you know, how, how do we go about doing that if indeed part of what's needed here is, is for all, virtually all of us humans to have the opportunity to have these direct experiences and these direct relationships, how do we go about greening our living environs in such a manner that, that that occurs more or less almost by default. And I might add, you know, it wouldn't be a, a, a stretch to argue or suggest that for our species, for most of our ancestors, that opportunity almost by default uh, was much more prevalent up until our modern industrial era, just looking at sizes of cities and, and technology and so on. So what thought experiment, if, if, if you're willing, you know, how might we go about that or think about that? What's interesting, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, I mean, the easy thing is to nurture that relationship is getting a plant in your window and, you know, doing that. But I, I think that also touches on what I, this idea I have around learning where the plants are from, like, that it doesn't necessarily have to be the plant in your that you're growing in your garden in your urban you know apartment or something. But Joseph Brinkman from Traditional Medicinals talks about when people in the industry come to him and say, "What do I do? How do I source responsibly?" He says, "Pick one plant and follow that plant. Like learn the story of where that's from and and be curious." He has this great line. He's like, "It's not easy." But if, if you're curious, you're not worried about easy. And so, and people like Joseph also, you know, they don't take a lot of herbal products. And he talks also about, we need to see the value of these plants and maybe understanding those journeys, what it takes to get that plant from the Himalayas and, you know, with all of that, then we use it like the precious object that it is. And so that's also like a different expression of the greenness you're talking about, like in a way, 
plants are leading us there, but it's not like the green, green plant in our natural world. I mean, that's obviously key part of it too. Another, like the most inspiring places in a, imagining a future kind of way that I visited, and I didn't write about this in the Wawajdowam I wrote about, but th this one center in Poland called Dari Naturi, and they were started by a man who grew up as a wild collector, and now they have a factory and they produce teas that they sell with, mostly just within Poland, so they don't have the challenges of international regulatory stuff. And he has this huge botanical garden and he has rebuilt this, this hotel out of traditional Polish buildings that were gonna to be torn down. And so he had them moved there and there's a natural playground for, and the place was packed with young Polish families when we were there and they offer herbal education and they sell the teas there. And that kind of integrated model was lovely. And we were the only, Westerners, nobody spoke English, you know, it was, and I feel like there's a real potential in the United States to, and herb schools to really kind of feed that greenness, what you're saying a little more and not just say, oh, here, buy from this company, that company, but how do we really link up with the, what's in our region and close some of those loops, so. Because there's a lot of people in the botanical industry who, who are involved in purchasing who have no connection with the plants yeah. at all. I mean, it's, that's probably the most discouraging part. And so there are some that do, but there are a lot that don't. And so all those products, those companies, we can grow in our own, you know, reimagine how they're grown and sourced. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Well, speaking of beauty, I want to really encourage folks to check out your film, Newman. Um, it, I was amazed. I mean, the, the visual sequences are stunning and it's, it's so beautifully arranged. And I was, I was struck by a quote by Kenny Ozabel, co-founder of Bioneers. He said that plant knowledge may be the most important collective heritage that we all share as humans, and he said, he went on to say, especially when we're dealing with something like climate change, and, and he commented, this isn't the first time as a species we've dealt with climate change. And it, it really hit me the way you guys kind of pieced that together in those opening several minutes, um, that on the one hand, we have this very deep common human experience of being connected with plants for medicine and food and well-being. On the other hand, we're in this current situation, pickle, if you will, where so many of us are completely divorced from that reality, that experience, and, and so much so that a whole lot of us don't even know that that is in fact our sort of normal MO as a species. And so I really, I want to encourage folks not only to get your book, The Business of Botanicals, but also to check out Newman. And, and by the way, let me just ask, what's the best way for folks to track Newman down if they're, if they're looking to watch the film? It can be, you can rent it on Vimeo. On Vimeo. And we have, we have DVDs that we sell if anybody watches DVDs anymore. Oh, super. And is that available on your website? That's, yes. I have a link on my website. Oh, great. Okay. So, so yeah, Newman, I mean, beautiful film. And uh, if you could please 
share share with our audience just a bit about you know what's in that film and and, and what we might um, expect to experience when we go to see it. Sure. Well, thank you. And that, that the beauty goes to Terry Yalk, the filmmaker who I was the anthropologist who came up with the idea and. He's my husband and he's like, sure. And then, you know, we followed around, got so much footage and then he had to pare it down. But the kernel for the movie was, as I studied herbal medicine at, with Rosemary and really while well, the ideas that, you know, that we've been talking about that I found so moving. And I saw that those risks were threatened by the commercialization of the herb industry. And so Rosemary, as I was graduating from this second year program, she offered me a small, small stipend to do a research project around the history around United Plant Savers. And so I did, I just wanted any way to continue this work. And as I was writing that, I realized it would be much more powerful. It was around their relationship with the plants, but it would be much more powerful to tell that story in film so that the plants could speak for themselves and the herbalists could speak for themselves. And so what we really tried to talk about was the values and spirit at the heart of traditional Western herbalism. Because I was so drawn to it also because of the way, you know, I had encountered similar ideas, as I said, in rural Nepal, but here they were being held, you know, herbal medicine in schools and conferences, you know, it's wildly popular. And so I was interested in how those ideas were showing up in the West. So the, the film is really talking about that with beautiful plant footage. Uh, really, yeah. really, really stunning, exquisite. Well, and uh, thank you so much for visiting with me today and, and taking the time to uh, visit with our Why on Earth community. And um, before we sign off, I, I just wanna ask, is there anything else you'd like to say or share uh, before we conclude our episode? I, what, no, I think, I mean, there's one idea that is also around seeing, you know, cause they're seeing the magical aliveness of the world. There's also seeing back to the idea of seeing the impacts of our ways of living. And in the book, I quote Raymond Williams, who's a literary theorist from the, um, who talks about the country and the city and but he's talking about say coal and what we would focus on is the coal but we don't see the slag heap or in Newman when we interviewed Martha Herbert a doctor and she said talking about side effects side effects are what they read really fast on the commercials but they're effects nonetheless and so really like exploring that idea both in medicine and in our economic system, like what are the side effects and how can we see their, that every choice we have is having these effects. And so seeing both the invisible world of spirit, but also the invisible world of our, the impacts of our actions. Mm. That's like, that's all I'd say, yeah. That's really beautiful and, and such an interesting way to think about those two um, in context together. Thank you so much, Anne. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much. It's great. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions and conversation. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. 
The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.